The Inward Journey. If at some point we realize that the answers we seek aren't found in achievement, in more, in competition, and in better stuff, and if by some rare and unlikely intersection of effort, skill, and luck we do reach our goal, we find it empty. We hold the trophy in our hands, and as soon as the fleeting moment passes, we ask, what's next? The restlessness remains, and a question emerges from that restlessness. Am I finding life, or am I just running to stand still? It turns out that the journey I need, the journey I ought to be on, is a journey of discovery, an inward journey, Christ in you, the hope of glory. In Luke chapter 10, Mary sat at Jesus' feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was serving, distracted from Jesus by her many worries, and she was upset and angry at both Jesus and Mary. So she chastised Jesus and told him to do what she thought should be done. Rebuke Mary, tell her to help me. But Jesus said to her very tenderly, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the better part, and it will not be taken from her. The Mary and Martha story is not about the superiority of praying over serving. It's about our why and our how. Ultimately, it's about our who. Those who learn to abide in Christ will bear the most fruit, fruit that will last. Jesus was directing Martha to his lifestyle, the one he lived with his father, a lifestyle of keeping in step with the father, working on what the father is working on, saying what the father is saying, resting when the father is still. John 5.19 shows that. It's a lifestyle of one thing. And by doing that one thing, doing God's will in all things. My friend Richard said that the best Christian leaders are the ones that deeply know how loved by God they are, and knowing how loved you are is a byproduct of abiding, not the goal of it. We're not meant to focus on activity, we're meant to focus on God's presence, moment by moment. We're meant to remain in this moment, not presumptuously lamenting our past as if we actually understand the very meaning of our lives. We don't. And we're not meant to dream constantly of our future and all that we hope to achieve. Vainglorious pride mongers we can be. Deeply ambitious to set our name in lights and rank among heaven's all-stars. But heaven doesn't work that way. Heaven doesn't think that way. Heaven doesn't care about such things. When Jesus flipped the meaning of greatness to humility, and the meaning of leadership to servanthood. He wasn't giving us a new target to aim at in service of self-aggrandizement. Look at me, I'm so humble. He was emphasizing the contrast between how we humans naturally behave because of the fall and how his kingdom works. We don't serve so people will see us. We serve like a single green leaf on a great tree. We take our place in the great song of all creation, and we're a choir singing for the audience of one. We're not a competition in which the singers jostle for place. Jesus flips the categories, and so does James when he says, 
In James 1, 9-11, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers fall and its beauty perishes, so also the rich man will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. The only thing that matters for either the rich man or the poor man is our grasp of God. And in this, the rich are actually disadvantaged and the poor have the upper hand. If this perspective feels foreign, take heart. God is patient with us. He allows us to go on our useless journeys, only to come back home to find him and to find that at the end of all our longings, we're still really yearning for a home that we already have in him. Sometimes it's easy to look down on people who haven't traveled our paths, but I see no point in looking down on someone who's young or someone who's young in the faith. I don't believe that I'm smarter now at age 41 than I was when I was 19. I don't believe that, and I don't believe that in the core of my faith that now I have something that I didn't have back then. In fact, back then I do know that I had a very clear image at the center of my faith that has held me through all these years. I had God. I had real God, very God of very God, Christ himself in me. I had the adoption as sons. I had the peace of Christ that passes understanding. I had the forgiveness of sins. I had the hope of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. I had the communion of saints. I had all that. And God came. God breathed. God spoke. And we walked together in the cool of the day, just like we do now. Not much has changed, except I'm quicker to receive his love now and a little less melodramatic and negative about myself now. I know that the young can be full of pride, imagining that when it's our turn at bat, we shall all hit home runs and the crowd will go wild. But the pride of age says, well, they'll see, they'll see, their poor little dreams will be dashed and finally they'll come running back to me with apologies that they ever thought that they knew as well as us. And I'm inclined to, if given the option of these two, despise the pride of age more because by now it should have learned that any pride is a total waste of time and a sin against love. What the young need is kindness and someone to name what is essential and right within them. They need someone to whisper life into them, to blow on the coals that fuel the fires of love. They need models of people who are still captivated by what got us into this in the first place. (laughs) And what is that? What got us into this in the first place, you ask? Well, the love ache, the yearning for God, and the ecstasy of finding Him, and the adventure and mystery of walking daily with Him. We cannot hardly do well enough to count and relish our blessings In Christ, those are the blessings that we will never lose. John puts it this way, 1 John 3, 1, See, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. To be predestined in love, to be chosen, Rescued out of the dark, brought into the light, to have his seal, the Holy Ghost, set upon us, to be given the ring, the sandals, the robe, amazing. And now, what is that sound I hear? The band begins to play? And the Father, what is, the 
father is dancing. See, this is what we miss out on when we let the many important things crowd out the one necessary thing. When I first started out on this journey, I still thought of God as the fire-breathing holy God of judgment and wrath. And I'm not denying that God is holy, holy, holy to the point where we all fall down and wonder and reverent fear and we adore and respect and lay there undone. That's all true. But what he's revealed to me over these years from the first time until now is love, intimate, personal, permanent, merciful, kind, warm, peaceful, helpful, forgiving love. I've known a lot of pain. We all have. But I've known him in the midst of it as the presence of warm light in a cold world. Recently, God said that physical touch is important in our relationship, that words are often not the way he's communicating, but touch is a constant with him and me. He actually went into some detail about that, and I found it fascinating because it hadn't really occurred to me to think of physical touch as divine communication, but he showed me that for him and I, it's foundational, probably even primal. You've been kind, Father. And do I dare even ask for more? Do I dare ask for even more of my walls to topple? Even more of my daily moments to be filled with you? What process might happen to bring about that change in me? Sometimes I wonder if we don't fear the humbling, the discipline, the shaping process that rids us of our apathy and idols. Some of that transformation process is painful, but pain and pleasure can run together. And I think we can lean into the present moment as exactly what we need to take us exactly where we are meant to go. I'm not blaming you, God, for my choices, and I'm not feeling powerless. No, I'm, I'm saying that the endless wishing that life were different is a great obstacle to entering into enjoyment of you in the present moment. Right at the outset of my walk, I did menial tasks. And I still enjoy that because my goal even then was simple. Can I consciously relate to God all day long, no matter whether I'm reading the Bible and kneeling and praying or whether I'm sweeping the garage or mowing the yard? Can I be in communion with God while I work at the welding machine at the factory on my 3 to 11 shift? Can I be holding on to a little verse throughout the day, just letting what it says be a question I live with for the afternoon in the hopes that as I work, God will give me just a little more light? And can I sit up in my bed and let the presence increase in my room until that place becomes the holy of holies and then drift off to sleep in that place and wake up again in the light of God's new day to start afresh? And that's what I'm about. Can we just find God? And finding God, can we abide in him constantly? This is the inward journey.